Ashland has been through. And so we get to support that in all kinds of ways, especially with the Easter basket. So I encourage you to stop back by there this afternoon, uh, place an order or so. Maybe you don't need one, maybe you don't have any children, but you can give one to a foster child. Hello, somebody. Uh, that'd be an incredible thing. So, amen. Good deal. Turn with me in your Bible to Song of Solomon. Come on, we're in a marriage sermon series. We can't, we can't not, in a marriage sermon series, you can't not go to the Song of Solomon. You, listen, you know you don't read your Bible very much if you catch your kids ringing the Song of Solomon and you ask them where they got that trash. <laughs> The Song of Solomon, I feel as married people, we should not be ashamed of what it talks about, how it talks about it, and the things that it addresses in there. We rarely hear sermons from it because, frankly, some of the illustrations um, are pretty graphic. Now, I, I would not encourage the men in this room to look at their wife and say, I love you so much because your teeth are like goat's teeth and those type of things. I probably wouldn't go down that road. Um, this is a book. The, Bi the Bible addresses marriage in a lot of ways. This is a book that talks about a love story. Passionately, committed, full of desire, the things that are godly, the things God approves of, and those things. In, the, in, in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 16... His mouth is most sweet, and he's altogether desirable. This is my beloved. This is my friend. Everybody say, this is my friend. Daughters of Jerusalem. This is my beloved. This is my friend. Father, bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart in Jesus' name. And everyone said, all right, here we go. I, I, I want you to hold on to each other this morning because it's about to all make sense. The last four weeks we have worked through some very famous Bible characters. And we have learned some things about these Bible characters that initially can be disappointing in our heart to discover these things about them. To discover their struggle and to discover that Maybe they weren't as perfect as we thought they were. But let me tell you something. Marriage has a way of exposing your imperfections, your immaturity. Come on, someone. Marriage, I've said this before and I'll continue to say it every time God lets me preach a marriage sermon series, which is about 16 years now we've done one every year. Marriage is God's way to develop holiness in your life. It's an incredible thought. We could be disappointed initially to learn some things about Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob. We could be disappointed to learn some things about maybe Rebecca or Rachel. Because initially these things are put to us as Bible characters in some fashioned form of a children's fairy tale. And it's great to hear. We love those things. But we're always walk away from them left. Well, it's, a fair, it's that kind of thing. I'm never going to line up with it. When you do some Bible study, you begin to read your Bible like you should read your Bible. You'll begin to discover that these are just normal everyday people who are trying to live their life for God just like you and I are. And they're working through some stuff. And from what we see in the Bible, I want to introduce to you a couple today who's not a very famous couple at all. As a matter of fact, the only reason you know them is because you know their son. Manoah and his wife. Now, she, her name's not even written in the Scripture. So I've been practicing this all week because I want to make sure I overcome my southern ease inside of this a little bit. But uh, So it's Manoah and Mrs. Manoah. <laughs> They're an outstanding marriage. 
I just want to lay this right out to you. They had an amazing marriage. And what you discover as you walk through Judges, and we begin to learn a little bit about Samson's parents, who we hardly ever, ever talk about, is we, be, we begin to discover here is a husband and a wife who are incredible friends, incredibly connected. And you think, man, Pastor Don, that's great, but though, you know, everything is perfect in Bible times. See, what you got to understand about Manoah and Mrs. Manoah is that they lived in a time of spiritual, moral darkness. We think, we think man, nothing can be worse than what we go through today. Hello, somebody. Just the moral decay in our society. The, the, the refusal of abstract truth. Two plus two, it doesn't, it doesn't equal four anymore because of situation ethics. Two plus two could be 22. Because we live in a society today where situation ethics take over instead of moral absolutes. And therefore we wonder why we don't have any compass to lead us through this world of darkness. Especially in the area of marriage. Let a preacher, let someone get up and start giving clear definitions and guidelines and boundaries of marriage. And watch all hell break loose. Because you're, you're, you'll be accused of being bigoted or one-minded or, or, or whatever. But I need you to understand something. I didn't write the book, I just report it. Manoah and Mrs. Manoah lived in a time of moral darkness, not unlike where we live today. They were captive to the Philistines at this particular time, and, and, and that can run the gamut of field if you're even a, 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 just a, a, a weekend Bible study student. I, I, can't, I don't want to, but I, I'm just saying, everybody understands who the Philistines were ungodly, unholy nation. That plagued God's people throughout all the Old Testament. God, God was so tired of them at one time that he, he sends the flood to wipe it all out. Start over. But after the flood, somehow, for some way, they pop up again. They're kind of like fleas. And he, I understand for sure by sitting down with couples, even, uh, you know, in mine and my wife's own marriage uh, all those years ago, walking through uh, those things. Godly, godly examples are in short supply. Because people are afraid to take a stand. But see, I want us as married people not to be afraid to take a stand. Because when those who, who accuse us of whatever they want to because we took a stand, when they fall by the wayside, when they find themselves lost and wind up somehow, someway finding themselves back, we'll still be standing where we told them we'd be standing to start with. Much of the problem of marriage today is this, this problem of, of uh, a lack of moral code, a lack of godly example to show us what it should be like. This couple, Manoah, Mrs. Manoah, I'm going to read to you here in just a little bit in Judges. Uh, you, you can move over there if you'd like to, verse, or chapter 13. They do their best to follow God's instructions. I love that Manoah and his wife present to us as a married people a checklist. Everybody say a checklist. Of what it looks like to live happily ever after. I love this. I actually love this. They were simple people. No privilege. No rank. No wealth. Again, the only reason we know their name is because of who their son was. Samson. They, we, we don't see any big, huge Bible exploits. We don't, we don't see any huge uh, uh, miracles. We don't see any huge things happening. The earth doesn't shake in the scripture. When we read about the story of their life, we meet some 
very simple people of no privilege, rank, or wealth. And they were content with the life that they were living. And this should be an encouragement to us as people. Because sometimes the life that we desire seems so far out of reach because we place it and base it on something we can't obtain. Some place we can't go to. But we see Manoah and his wife work together to raise their children in the way that God instructs them to do. And and that they were, I think, developing and living What every couple, I believe, desires to be. And that is friends. And the sad truth is that somewhere down the line after we get married, life begins to happen. And contract takes over covenant. And husband and wife stop being friends. And most of the time, by the time I meet them in my, my office, not only are they not friends, they're enemies. We've, we've sat with couples who've come in our office who sat on the opposite end of the couch. As a matter of fact, one sat on one arm of the couch and the other sat on, that's how far they wanted to sit apart. I remember walking with this couple through their journey. I remember the struggles and walking through and I remember so proud of them and what God did in their life and how they they worked so hard to regain some things. Let 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 me just ask this question. What's going on? So several hundred years, Israel goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. This cycle of sin and servitude and supplication and salvation. They just go over and over and over and over this this thing. And it's happened again at this point where we meet Manoah and his wife in uh, chapter 13. Is they're right back in this place where they'd been before in servitude. They had been led captive and and now they were in servitude to the Philistines. I, I don't know what worse people you could be in servitude to. And they were enduring some oppression because of the nation's moral collapse. And I think that marriage today is doing the same thing. Because of our nation's moral collapse, marriages are enduring opposition and oppression. Now let me just let me give you a guarantee. I believe that one of the answers to turning our nation back around is marriage. I believe that. You see, here, here's what I believe. See... Communities are made up of families. Families are made up of marriages. Communities make up cities. Cities make up states. And, and it, it, You see what I'm saying? We, we want to swallow the whole elephant while we ignore, come on, the things that are necessary. And, and I just believe with all my heart when a church begins to emphasize that, listen, we want to make sure our marriages are healthy. If our marriages are healthy, our families will be healthy. If our families are healthy, our church is going to be healthy. And if our church is going to be healthy, we're going to have influence in the community. And when we have influence in the community, we can affect change. We can affect change. A lot of marriages today are suffering from this moral decay, what used to be absolutes? Absolutes for moral clarity in marriage. Today is just as foggy as a Michigan morning. What do you mean, marriage is forever? That's a statement to make in a, in a society where marriage is as disposable as the razors you buy. Uh, who, who's in driver's training? Come on, who's in driver's training? Corey, you're in driver's training? Corey's like, oh my goodness. He gets a, how, how long is driver's training? Couple weeks? How long is driver's training? Couple weeks. Just, but then you got hours with a mentor. I heard your parents the other night saying, hey, he's coming up. We got to get him some nighttime hours. 
right? And, and then uh, how many hours does he got to have at night and those type of things. But see, it's not just the in-school stuff. But it's, it's also driving with a mentor. All to do, how much money does driver's training cost? 300 bucks? Let me, let me ask you this. Forget about the 300 bucks. How much money does insurance cost on a 16-year-old male? <laughs> Amy, she just called you out. Do you realize that we require people to get more education, more training, and more time with a mentor to get a driver's license than we do to get married? Why? Because if they don't get it right, they might kill themselves or somebody else. I was talking about marriage. You thought I was talking about driver's license. <laughs> There's some gospel truth here. I want to be a people who's not afraid of the absolutes. I'm not a legalist. I understand that a fence is a boundary to keep me safe. To give me life. And my heart's broken that today we would reject absolutes inside of the covenant of marriage. Hold on to each other. It's about to make sense. Judges chapter 13 verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man uh, of Zorah of the tribe of Dantes whose name was Menorah. His wife was barren and had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman. Everybody say to the woman. And said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, as if she didn't know. But what she didn't know was, But you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful, and drink no wine and strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Moral absolutes. The angel didn't apologize. These are the instructions. You want to see salvation? Here are the instructions. Here is your responsibility. You want to see deliverance? Here is your responsibility. So I just need you to understand something here. The angel of the Lord appears to a woman whose name isn't even mentioned. Not once, but twice he comes to her in the scripture. We only know her as Mrs. Manoah. Notice what he says to this great woman. Notice. He states the obvious. You're barren. He gives a promise, you're going to have a son. He gave instructions, be careful. He stated separation, no razor. And he states destiny. Deliverance is coming. Come on, church. God had a great purpose for their marriage that it would begin to birth the delivering power of God. And what you need to know this morning, married people, is you need to know that your marriage has a great purpose. Imagine with me the miracle working power God could birth through your marriage today if you would just surrender it to Him. There's purpose in this thing called marriage. God wants to work through it to touch the world around us. God wants to use our marriages to preach the gospel of his delivering power to a lost and dying world. God wants to use our marriages to birth a compass, if you will, of what it looks like to live for God. Miracles are an amazing thing. But yet we're so selfish. 
That we can't get on with the business of God in our marriage because we're more interested in being served individually than serving the person we're married to. Somewhere down the line, every problem in marriage revolves around I want to be served instead of serve. Miracles are happening. Watch verse 6. And the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask him where he was from. He didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine, strong drink, eat nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Miracles. Watch this. God spoke. Let me talk to you about a miracle. God speaks to Mrs. Manoah. And you know what the first thing she does is? Communicates with her husband. Remember all these other characters we've been talking about? What was the one thing they never did? Talk to each other about what God had spoken to them. Right here's a couple, right? I told you about that. All makes sense. Here she does. The first thing that happens, the first thing that happens is she moves to her husband and she gives him all the details she was given. Now, this is very important because it just happened to me this weekend. I read this off to my wife. Hey, this is going on. She said, but what about this? I don't know. This is going on. But what, what, how about this? I don't know. This is what I know. Right? Oh, well, well, we need to find out how do we, I don't know, I'm telling you why I know. This is all I know. It's right here. And she's like, but we got to have more detail. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> she came to her husband and she told him what she knew. I love this. And you know what, gentlemen, Manoah's response was? He trusted his wife. Because she was his friend. I, I believe you. It's a crazy story. But I believe you. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to seek God for myself. Miracles. Remember what all these other people didn't do? How many times did they not even consult God? They didn't even, the Bible heroes we talked about didn't even consult God about it. didn't even consult God. And so in Judges 13, 9 through 24, which I'm not going to read today, the angel returns to speak to Manoah himself face to face. And he's so blessed that he's like, man, i got to serve you dinner. I just want to serve you dinner. And, and so he, he, he wants to serve him dinner, but it's, it's the angel of the Lord. I, let me bless you in a little theological terms. It's Jesus. I don't have time for that today. But he wants to serve. He doesn't know. He just wants to serve him dinner because that's what Southern hospitality does. Just come on in here. Let's sit down and eat. But instead of eating dinner, what he was instructed to do was then put that on the altar. And the angel of the Lord, as soon as they put it on the altar in the flame, the angel of the Lord was taken up in the flame. And that's when Manoah realized he was in the very presence of God. And he looks at his wife and he said, we're going to die. we going to die. We have seen God. You can't see God and not die. We're about to die. Get ready. Here he comes. It's coming. It's coming. We don't die. I don't have time to read your Bible. It's in there. But he had a good woman. Oh, come on. He had a good woman. And she's full of wisdom. And in his panic, we're going to die. She brought calmness and the rest is history. And Judges 13 closes with the birth of Samson. So good. So good. What follows in uh, chapters 13, verse 24 through uh, chapter 14 is the faithfulness then of parents to follow God's instruction, not only in their own relationship, but in their children's lives. What follows is the story of how a parent's faith was passed down to their child. Jacob's biggest curse is that his faith was never passed down to his children. And because of that, Israel suffered for over a thousand years with idolatry. 
But not Manoah. Not Manoah. He made sure that his faith was passed down to his son. I'm not saying his son was perfect. The Bible says, amen, when they get old, they'll return. There might some stuff happen in the middle. It's all right. It's not all right, but we got faith to believe in the promise of God. Raise up a child the way he should go when they get old. Come on, somebody. I need you to grab a hold of this. No doubt that all his life, little Samson would have known who he was from birth because he had a story. Can you see him walking up and jerking on everybody's pants? Hey, do you know who I am? Come on, you, you've seen these like six, seven, eight-year-olds, man. They're just so confident. You know who I am? You know who I am, right? You don't, you don't know me? Listen, the angel came and told my parents who I am. I'm going to kill these Philistines. Hey, do you know what my job is? The angel of the Lord came and said that I was going to be there and that I was going to be a Nazarite from birth until death. I wouldn't just take the Nazarite vow for a little bit of time, but I was going, I'm a Nazarite from birth. The only man who I know who is. Okay, cut my hair. And so he's probably proud of this. I would have been. One of the Wells boys asked me, how you get it so shiny? I said, that's the anointing, bud. Watch out. (laughs) He had reason to be proud of his long hair. Why? Because it was God's instructions. He knew because his parents told him that he had a God calling on his life. Now, let me walk you through this real quick because you need to grab a hold of this lessons for wives. Here we go again. Y'all ready? Come on. I want you to be blessed. Ladies, watch this. Take some notes because it's going to be good. Trusting God is a daily choice. Mm. I'm just going to talk to our wives in here for just a minute. Trusting God is a daily choice. I didn't say it was easy. But I need to say something to all the women in our lives because what we as men don't realize is they receive Hardship in their life in different ways than we do. They experience things different than we do. They go through things that we don't go through. They have dreams. But sometimes the things they experience in this broken world at the hands of other people can make them feel even unworthy of even that dream. They go through some things. But ladies, I need you to understand something. You listen to Pastor Donnie, you listen to me well. It is possible to live in victory with pain and painful circumstances. If you ever hear my wife's testimony, you'll hear her say, you can't stay bitter and get better. When I met my wife, she had been abused by every man in her life. And our marriage struggled, not in part, not just her, both of us. Because there was that anticipation and expectation, transfer happened. Even though I never did those things to her, she often treated me as if I had. And I would make that statement that, look, I've never done that to you. I didn't cuss. I didn't hit you. I've never, done, I've never abused it. I've, I've never done it. But you will. Come on. Come on, ladies. Don't judge her. Shortly into our marriage, my wife got incredibly sick. We didn't know what it was. Here she's this 23-year-old woman, the healthiest woman I'd ever met in my life. I mean, she was in the woods with me. She was all over the place with me, right? And I just loved it. I, I fell in love with her partially because she's wild as a bobcat. You know, it's just one of those things. I loved the spit and vinegar. I loved that. She went to sleep one night, healthiest woman I'd ever met in my life. I woke up the next morning, couldn't move. And like that, overnight, a switch happened in her life. And her body was attacked as a 23-year-old woman by rheumatoid arthritis. And we spent the next two years just trying to figure it out. No doctors could tell us what was going on. Nobody could figure it out. It was an unbelievable thing. And, and this was like the two years, first two years of our marriage. And I can remember times of having to tote her to the bathroom because she couldn't walk. I can remember the tight, uh, listening at night with her teeth chattering because she couldn't take the weight of a blanket on her body because her body hurt so bad. And I remember finally when a doctor looked at us and said, at 26 years old, says to her, you have rheumatoid arthritis, 
There's nothing we can do for you. Go home. You'll be in a wheelchair by the time you're 40. And I watched my wife from that day to this not live a day without pain. It's not a day that goes by she doesn't live in pain. We don't often hold hands. It's, it's one of those things, right? It's not her fault. You see, you don't know these things because what you experience is a woman who's learned that it is possible to live in victory with pain in painful circumstances. It is possible to believe God. How does a woman live with pain? How does she live with suffering? You know what? Some women have pain and have suffering. You know what they do? They turn from God and they blame God. Amen. But what you have is an example of a woman who turns to God and watches God work in her life and believed and prayed and fasted for well over, well over, I don't know, two years until God moves in a way. One night that's a powerful, powerful night that I won't talk about in this room. I want to ask you ladies, without doing away with your pain, without doing away with your struggle, your suffering, whatever it may be, I want you to say, here's a woman in the scripture, Mrs. Manoa, and let me take a page out of her book and let her pain, she let her pain drive her closer to God. She was barren and couldn't have children. It was a curse in her society. And I need you to understand something in here. Wife, listen to me. You've done gone through some stuff. You've got some pain in your life, some emotional, physical in your life because of what's happened to you. Don't let those things drive you away from God. Let those things push you to God. Take a page from Mrs. Manoa's book. Press into God. As a woman, trusting God is always, always the key to managing your trials. And in that, you become something beautiful of the handiwork of God that's faith physically demonstrated among us. When others would turn from God because of what they've been through, you cannot. Your life as a wife, your pain is a demonstration that God is faithful. Trusting God is a daily choice in your life. And I want to say that to you because I realize that maybe some of you don't have physical pain like my wife does every day. But there's some of you who've done, been through some stuff who've got physical and emotional or, or, or spirit. You got pain because of something someone did. And I want, I want you to understand, I realize that. And that having faith every day is a daily thing for you. Ladies, at the risk... I'm getting called something. It's an absolute. It's a biblical absolute. Number two, be a helper. And be the helper you were meant to be. Let me bless you, ladies. You have no idea. But as a woman and a wife, you are the scales of balance in your marriage. Hello, somebody. Every man in this room should have said, Hey, you and maybe you did, and you're just terrified to say it. You have the ability to set the atmosphere like nothing. Sure you do. Manoah was a strong leader. He was a godly man. There's no doubt about that. But in his moment of fear and panic, God's going to kill us. Get ready. Here it comes. Mrs. Manoah. Come on. Mrs. Manoah was the helper she was created to be. She's the one who comes and says, hey, 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 wait, 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 wait. If God is speaking about purpose, why would he kill us now? Verses 22 and 23. As a woman, trusting God is the key to mastering your trial. But watch this. Your calling is one of strength and surety for your husband. And let me tell you something, wife, sitting in this room today. He might not admit it, but he needs you. Because he's got more times of fear and panic in his life than he would like to admit. He needs you. Number three, watch this. Remember your priorities, ladies. It's an incredible thing. When the angel of the Lord spoke to her that day, 
The first person she shared it with was her husband. Not the hen part, I mean her friends. Sorry. She didn't get on Facebook and start a Facebook page. She didn't run to her circle of girlfriends. I'm sure she had them. She ran straight to her husband. Why? Because he is who she wanted to share this with. He was her first priority. He was her best friend. He was her partner in life. And let me, let me just encourage you, gentlemen. If your wife has a desire to be a friend of you, stop being stupid. And embrace her friendship. She's trying to do what she's called to do. Her first priority was to run. Ladies, listen to me. Who do you turn to first when good news comes or bad news comes? Do you keep the info to yourself until your husband finds out? Bank statement came today. Or how about this? I, I, men, men, some of us men have to watch a bank statement too. I'm just telling you. I'm just, I'm, I'm there. My wife's like, more hunting equipment? <laughs> I'm like, sweetheart, we're going to be in the snow. And it's going to be cold. And I need to be warm. And then you don't want me to die in the woods, do you? She's like, if you didn't even go to the woods, you wouldn't have to spend this money. Listen, I know this tendency, ladies, not to share with your husband during bad, bad news when bad news, because you know how he's going to react. Listen, I'm working on that for you. Okay, guys? If she's scared to share with you because she knows you'll overreact, then we've got to work on that. She's got to come and share the things. Listen, who do you share good news with when it comes See, in God's list of priorities, the priorities of people in your life, ladies, as a married woman, is your husband. And he's number one. Remember, these two are friends. It's incredible what happens. Ladies, here's what I want you to do. I want you to aim for faith for big things. And little things. When the Lord speaks to her face to face, she handles it by and with faith. It wasn't like he doesn't know who he's talking to. We've been trying to have babies. It's not from a lack of practice. We can't handle babies. She handles it by and with faith. She doesn't question God. She didn't say, how can this be? She didn't say, I'm barren. She didn't say, I've been living under a curse. It's not going to happen for me. She didn't say any of those things. She didn't fret even about the means or the methods. Esau and Jacob's mom, what did she do? Jacob's got to be, he's got to get the birthright. I don't know how that's going to happen. God had already promised that it was his. They didn't have to manipulate anybody for it. They should have rested by faith and let God work out the details. But instead of because of what she did, Jacob's, it's, it's incredible. He's got to run for his life. She never sees him again alive. Let me tell you something, ladies. Let's think about how we respond to the promise of God. Do you trust Him? Oh, I'm preaching today, but y'all don't even like it. I'm, uh, do you trust Him? Is your faith marked by a gentle spirit in who you are? If God has said it, I can hold on to it. I, I don't really understand how it's going to happen uh, because we've been pushing this rock up this hill for a long time and, and all it's done is roll back over us you know, 10, 12, 15 times. I'm tired of this rock rocking back over me. Right? I, I get it. I get it. Right? Maybe it's something in your husband's life. You've been believing God to move and you've been believing. You've been begging and asking for Him to do. Right? And, and for some reason, He's not getting it and God God's not moving, and it's left you hurt, wounded, frustrated, feeling abandoned and lost. I get it, ladies. That's the truth. It's a Mrs. Manoa moment. I've got no value. 
But I'm encouraging you as a wife to let your life and your faith be marked by a gentle spirit. If God has spoken, you better bet. If he hasn't lied yet, oh woman of God, he ain't about to start now. And if he has given you a word about your husband or a promise in your life, Pastor Don's guarantee is if you'll put your faith in him and rest in his promise, you'll watch him do the supernatural. Yes, you will. But don't be the devil's advocate. God nor your husband needs you to take sides with the enemy. Hello, somebody. All right, let me move on to the guys for a minute. Are we good? Uh, Nancy's like, yeah, it's time. Gentlemen, I love you. And I've had a, actually had a wife complain to me at one particular time that I was too hard on men. <laughs> you know, I didn't grow up a Christian. We didn't go to church. My family's probably watching. What's up, Dad? Um, you guys know my dad's probably his biggest hero in my life. I came to know the Lord at 19, 20 years old. What my dad gave me was discipline. And from, this, from those days till now, in those days I didn't understand it because I felt it was hard. But now I have understood that what God was doing through that. Uh, discipline is an incredible thing in a man's life. A man who's undisciplined is a man the Bible would call, the King James Version would call, a wild ass. And the Bible doesn't say that God doesn't love a wild ass. It just says he can't use him. Discipline is the incredible thing that my father gave me. Now, when I got saved, God gave me a spiritual father who then gave me this. And God put those two things together, uh, and I got that thing working in my life, and so... I'm not a legalist. I just understand that I believe that godliness and discipline in a man's life is key. I'm encouraging all our husbands in this room to live and lead with confidence. I didn't say arrogance. Confidence. Let me tell you something, husband. No one can do better what you are called by God to do than you. Because God has called you to do it. Manoah was called to be Samson's father. Listen, I like to power lift. And here he is, earth's greatest strong man. You ever think about Samson a little bit? Like why everybody asked him, where does your strength come from? You see, I mean, we go to Columbus, to the Arnold Schwarzenegger, and all that. We see all these big guys, and I'm just telling you, there's some big ones. I got a picture of my son standing next to uh, Thor Bjornsson, the mountain. And how does a man get that big? But it, it, he can lift, he could deadlift over a thousand pounds. But you see his size, and you, you say, okay. You, you know what I'm saying? You see Arnold Schwarzenegger or Lou Ferrigno. You, I mean, you see all these famous guys who got muscles bulging out of their earlobes. You never wonder where they get their strength from. See, I don't imagine Samson looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Thor Bjornsson. I imagine him looking like me. I don't even drink beer, and I got this little beer belly going on. That's a sweet tea belly. Combined with a little... A little bit of little Debbie cake. Okay, a whole lot of little Debbie cake. Stop. Stop. Some 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 Yoder's donuts. Where's your strength come from? Manoah was his father. Gentlemen, Manoah could have been offended that God spoke to his wife first and not him. Let me ask you something, husband. Are you offended, threatened by your wife's spiritual growth? Mm-hmm. 
Listen, she's not in competition with your leadership role. It's her maturity that God often uses to benefit you and your children. Come on, say that again. Say it again. again. It's her maturity that God often uses in our lives. She's not in competition with our leadership role. She often has to do it because you won't. She often has to do it. Stop abdicating your role. Be the lead. Let her maturity bless you. If you feel like your wife is in competition for your leadership role, it might not be her issue. It might be yours. Your wife's spiritual maturity should be your top priority. It's your job to teach the scripture in your home. My job, my wife should come to me for doctrinal questions. My wife should come to me for theological ideas and thoughts. Hello, somebody. Not Facebook. I mean, Facebook. Please, I've told the young disciples, do not use Google as your theologian, your doctrinal teacher. Please don't do that. Oh, Lord Jesus, don't do that. Let me show you how to use a Strong's Concordance and let the Bible interpret itself. You're going to be just fine. Guys, number two, make, make a rule to pray about everything. Manoah had this strong personal relationship with God, which is odd, and it's different than all the other five or four husbands we've looked at. And when he heard what happened, he did what he always does. He prayed. And here's what I tell guys all the time who come to me with issues. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. What do I say? When we don't know what to do, we do what we know. And I know how to pray. I know how to pray. Manoah, Manoah had a relationship with God. And, and he moved straight to God because that's what he always did. I love this illustration for us as husbands. The closer we walk with God, the more immediately we'll include God in the events of our daily life. As a man of God, as a husband. What's the one constant, men, over the last four weeks that we've heard? They didn't ask God about it. Here's where your spiritual test of maturity comes in. The next time you have an issue, husband, the next time you have a decision to make or something to deal with, ask yourself, how quickly did I seek God about that? You'll find out right away whether you trust in your own strength or God. Number three, Manoah was a man of faith. I love this, right? He, he was just a man of faith. And I, I want to remove this super cape, superhero, uh, leotard idea of what it means to be a man of faith. Sometimes it's so untouchable for us. I can't be because that's Superman. I can't be that because that's the incredible Hulk. I can't get there. I, I can't be a man of faith because it's beyond my reach. All those guys are superheroes. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 gentlemen says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Husband, any man without convictions is a man without a road map. And any man without a road map is lost. Because we don't ask for directions. You don't have to have my convictions. I'm not even advocate. You'll never hear me get up from this pulpit and declare my personal convictions as doctrine or dogma. I will preach righteousness and I will condemn unrighteousness. All I'm encouraging us to do as husbands is get some convictions and then walk them out. It's not difficult. You know what a conviction is, guys? It's something you believe. You don't even have to tell me what you believe. I know what you believe by watching you live. Convictions are important in a man's life. God has spoken this to me. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter how you feel. You can think that's legalism if you want to. God has spoken it to me. 
I'm not asking you to walk the path God's asked me to walk. I'm simply asking you to walk your own. And when you're out there lost in the mud, wallowing in the pig pen full of, don't complain about me. People tell me all the time, Pastor, I don't like the way you do it. Well, how are you doing it? Well, I'm not doing it. Well, I like my way better. Be a man of conviction. Let your convictions be your moral compass that cause you to live in this world. My dad used to always say to this to me, Don, why do we do the right thing? Because it's the right thing to do. The moment you start doing things because of benefit is the moment you don't have any moral convictions in your life. My dad has never had much money in his whole life. But he has respect in our community where we grew up. People didn't even know my name. They always called me Terry's boy. Not because my dad had wealth or fame, all that kind of stuff. But my dad gave you his word. You might as well write, even if it cost him money. Why? Because he had a conviction. I'm encouraging us gentlemen. Manoah was a man of strong faith. And, and, and there's a, these, this verse in Hebrews describes him incredibly. Convictions of things not seen. When he heard a child was coming, man, if God speaks, I'm good with it. Come on, come on. Who was Manoah anyway, gentlemen? The Bible never talks about him in any huge act of heroism. He didn't have a sling and kill a giant. He didn't gather up four more stones and through his lifetime kill that giant's brothers too. You know, David killed all five of the brothers in Goliath's family. I can't read your Bible for you. There's a reason he picks up five stones. Because there were five of them. And all through his life, he winds up slaying every one of them. David was a man. Let me tell you why the Philistines didn't want to go to war with David when David was living with them. They told their king, oh, they said, we ain't going to war with him. They're giants. The Bible says that we're like grasshoppers in their sight. There's five huge Philistine generals standing there, men of war, supernatural beings, looking at their king and saying, we're not going to war with him. Not against his own people. And Og says, why? Hasn't David been faithful? Yes, he has. But in the middle of this war, he's liable to turn on us and kill us all. That was the testimony of supernatural beings about a little grasshopper. He would gut you in a minute. There's a reason they sang a song. Saul has killed his thousands. But David has killed his... No, that's not Manoah. That's not Manoah. Be encouraged, gentlemen. Manoah was a simple farmer. I don't mean to put that down because I think farmers are some of the godliest. Come on, people. But see, here's what I'm thinking. Because it's not that, we often think that is unobtainable. I can't be David. But listen to me, husbands. You and I, like Manoah, don't need some hero pedigree to be a great man of God, to be a great husband. We don't need that pedigree. We don't need some burning bush experience. We don't need some ladder coming down from heaven. We just need to believe God's word. Faith is just believing that God will do what he said he would do. Do you ever understand anything about God's promises, men? Have you ever read God's promise? Let me give you a little clue. Anytime God gives a promise, he never asks you if it's okay. He doesn't need your opinion. As if he needs you to make it happen. He makes a covenant with Abraham. You know what he does? You're going to get in the way. Fall asleep. I'll do this myself. Come on. Gentlemen, just believe what God... Listen, let every man be a liar because God speaks the truth. 
Faith is just believing God. If God said, I could be a husband, I'm going to be a husband. If God said, I'm the lead, I can lead. I don't know what that looks like, but I know how to put one foot in front of the other. I know the how to be a man of faith because the Bible says what? Right? That the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And let me tell you something in this room, gentlemen. You know what makes you righteous? Not your works, not your great exploits, not your fame, not your fortune, not anything that you can do in this world. It's the blood of Jesus applied to your life that makes you righteous. And if you are born again, filled with the Spirit of God, Put your foot in front of the other and let God lead you as a man of God. I am the righteousness of Christ, not because of what I did, but because of what He did. All right, leading requires getting the facts straight. I gotta go. I'm gonna wrap this up here. Manoah may have been a leader in his marriage, but he was also a learner. Ooh. How many, how many of you guys will, listen, let me just, this may come to a shock to you, but you don't know everything. Yeah. She, she never talks during the lessons for women. How does a guy learn? Ask questions. Don't make assumptions. How does a guy learn? Don't be satisfied with the status quo. Come on. There is nothing wrong with believing God for more. I'm not a prosperity gospel guy. I don't believe in all that nonsense. But I do believe that God has called me to believe him more today than I did yesterday. And that God is calling me as a man of God and a husband to believe him for even more tomorrow than I did today. I want to move into those things of God. I want to ask some questions. Manoah was that guy. He asked. He asked about the child. Hey, tell me about this kid that you talked about. He asked that angel. Tell me about this angel that showed up because I want to make sure I recognize him when he shows up and talks to me. He asked for instructions when the, when the angel showed up. He said, how am I supposed to do this? Tell me what's supposed to go on here, right? And, and he wanted to learn as much as possible to be better equipped to lead his family. Let me tell you something, gentlemen. Be a learner. You don't know everything. Trust the older men in the congregation. Humble yourself and ask some questions if you're not getting it right. And then, for everything that is good in heaven, follow the advice you've been given. Do you do what I tell you? No, I decided to do something else. That's just my problem now. Here's a simple farmer providing us as husbands the shining example of what a husband really looks like. Gentlemen, if we are going to lead in our marriages, if we're going to lead at work, if we're going to lead at church, we must be learners. Get the facts straight. Dustin Jasper came up during worship and he said, I just feel like God is talking about desire. And we got to desire the truth. We got to desire the right things. And we got to stop desiring the things that aren't of God. I want to be a man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And I don't want that hunger or thirst to be satisfied with anything but. Let me help you out with how to build a marriage that lasts as we close here. What a great couple. What a great couple. To model our marriages after. I believe that obvious, it's obvious what the fountain of life was in their marriage, and it was their friendship. And I want to encourage you as husband and wife, if, if, if you have been down the road where you, feel like, where you feel like your friendship has feigned in your marriage, you need to do something about that. You need to do something. Put the kids to bed. They'll be all right. They will survive. You can't, you can't let the kids run around 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and wonder why you ain't got no time together. My dad never apologized about bedtime. Go. I don't want to. I didn't ask if you wanted. Don't, Don't be afraid to hire a babysitter and spend some time together. You're not doing your children a disservice. You're actually doing them a service. Let them see you walk in unity in their life, even if they don't like it. My wife and I are having fun almost 30 years later now being married. 
There isn't a thing I'm scared to talk to her about. Sometimes I... I know how she's going to go. This ought to be fun. Remember all that spitting vinegar I said I liked? Here it comes. What does it take to be friends? Mutual, undying love for one another. Spending time together. Talking things over. Trusting each other. Praying for each other. Right now we're doing Financial Peace University and some people take advantage of that. And, and you'll learn in Financial Peace University how to set up a budget. And there's some things that we call line item issues. Mortgage has got to be paid. That's a line item issue. That's just got to go. Ties the line item issues. Got all this stuff. There's some line item issues. And below that line are the things. Yeah, whatever they are. Hunting equipment. <laughs> Bo, you're not helping me, brother. I need to... Come on, Scott. Scott, you're not helping me. I I just... I'm grateful. It was negative 30 degrees a couple of nights when Bo and I and Josh were on top of that mountain a couple years ago in Colorado. Negative 30. It was cold. And I never in my life wondered and heard my wife so much all night long. That's stupid. That's just stupid. That's just stupid. All night long. That's just, this is stupid. My wife, she's a prophetess, right? Like, this is just, anyway. 12,000 feet, negative 30. It was so cold, the animals we were hunting said, negative, we out of (laughs) here. They left the mountain. (laughs) They gone, they gone. Reminding my wife's budget, date day's been a line item issue. It gets paid just like the mortgage is going to get paid. It's that important. It is that important. It's that important. My wife's the queen of coupons. I don't know how she does it. I always wind up owing money. I had to look online and find out, and that it cost me something. She, sometimes she'll come up with this thing and we'll get a free lunch somewhere. I have no idea how she does it or whatever. That money that we had budgeted on lunch for that week or our date day that day or whatever because she was so diligent to find ways to, to save money, we were able then to give that to the waitress as a blessing. Let me, let me tell you something. As a married couple, there isn't anything more fun than when you know your lunch is going to be free and you can tip up front. Here, this is for you. What if I get bad service? Let me tell you something. You tip up front, you ain't never getting bad service. I'm just going to be honest with you right now. It's never happened in 30 years of marriage. It never has happened. My tea glass never gets below a quarter. You know what I'm saying? Like, But you can't be some cheap tipper neither. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got to move on. Pray for each other. Why is it so awkward for husbands and wives to pray for one another? I, I, when we sit down with people all the time as couples, why? Why is this a difficult thing? Why is this an awkward moment just to sit down and pray? You, you, you get that? It's so awkward. It's just like, oh, listen, you do other awkward stuff together. <laughs> don't act like you don't. That's why all these little B Christians run around here. <laughs> Stop it. Pray for one another. God's blueprint for a great marriage is right here in front of us. Manoah and his wife, they lived out their roles and responsibilities as they set out by God. Mrs. Manoah sought out her husband as soon as she heard God speaking. Manoah took the reins of leadership and he prayed and he sought God about the specifics on earth's greatest strong man. We cannot miss the tools that uh, Manoah and his wife used to live happily ever after. Where's my first page? Remember my first page of notes where I said right here, Manoah and his wife present us married people with a checklist. Everybody say checklist. Checklist of what it looks like to live happily ever after. Let me give you a checklist. Prayer, check. Communication, check. Mutual trust, 
check. Unwavering faith in God and what he spoke to you as a couple to believe God and walk with God and faith over that thing above everything else. Check. Watch God be good to you. God's love is available for you as a couple. It is. It's available there for the building of your foundation and your friendship. And nothing is more beautiful than a husband and wife who are friends. Come on. But nothing is more tormenting than when you are married to someone who you think is your enemy. Fight that with everything that's in you. And here's it's a very simple rule. My wife and I both live by it. I'm a little more violent about it probably than she is. But anything that makes my wife my enemy, it's gone. I will not be her enemy. Relationships. You don't encourage me to love my wife, I'm not walking with you. Hey, I want everybody to go to heaven. We'll just live on opposite sides of the road of each other. I don't. I'm not going to be my wife's enemy. Not going to be it. Because she's worth more than that. Friendship is an incredible thing. You follow this blueprint over the last five weeks, I guarantee you. Watch the days of your marriage get better. As they get longer. His tools, they're available. If you choose to put them in your marriage. If so, I think you'll have the beginnings of what it looks like to be happily married. Happily ever after. This is our heart. Will you stand with me in this place? Just the other day, my wife and I were talking about even 15, 16 years down the road. I'm not going to say her age, I'll just say mine. 15, 15 years or so, I'll be 65. And we were talking about financially what we're doing right now in order to set ourselves up to spend time together at that age. Mass 15 years down the road. Yeah, I kind of like her. You, you see what I'm saying? And if we do this right now, if we put this off now and put this here now, guess what we get there? And that was exciting to both of us. That was exciting to both of us to think, wow, it's really not that far away and look what's possible. See, most marriages can't survive the day because of the moral issue that the world is not encouraging. This church will encourage your marriage. It may not always be pretty, but it always, always, always will push you towards God. And so we just want to pray this as a prayer over our marriages this morning as we close with this song. If as husband and wife, you want to just come and make a fresh start. Nobody's, you know what I'm saying? Like, I want to just invite you to have the freedom to do that as we close this marriage sermon series. Pastor Tim's going to bring a word next week. And then the week after that, we're going to start our Easter sermon series. A lot to look forward to. So, Father, we just pray right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the good hand of your blessing upon us. God, as an eldership team, we just pray over the marriages of this church. You have blessed us, God. And you have called us to be an example. And Lord, we want to own that calling, not with pride, but with humility. And we want to be diligent, Lord, towards it, to speak into it. We want to thank you for those whose marriages have been healed. We want to thank you, God, for those that are being healed. We want to thank you, God, for those that you will send us, God, to help us encourage others. And God, this morning, we just want to pray your blessing over our marriages right now in Jesus.